It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. Recently, we had an episode where I interviewed Andrea about juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. After recording that episode, Andrea invited me to participate in a rheumatoid arthritis summit that she was putting on. Even though I don't have rheumatoid arthritis, she wanted me to speak about the experience of having a mystery illness and finally getting a diagnosis. The summit happened recently, and it was a lot of fun. I actually pre-recorded an interview with Andrea because I'm always nervous about doing anything live because I never know when I'm going to have a good or a bad day. So Andrea was kind enough to pre-record an interview with me. That interview played at the RA Summit, and for the first time, I sort of compile my thoughts of what I recommend for someone else to do who has a mystery illness and who is searching to get diagnosed. Andrea encouraged me to share this on the podcast feed, and I agreed with her. I felt like this would make a great podcast episode, so I've decided to share it with you today, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Since being diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, I've learned so much about living with this disease. I've done a ton of research and I've tried out a lot of products to see what helps. Something I've been thinking about for a while is setting up an Amazon shop to feature the products that I use for MCAS, and then make some video content for TikTok and Instagram, describing these products, how I use them, and why I recommend them for MCAS. And I've finally done it. I've finally set up an Amazon shop. It's at amazon.com slash shop slash major pain podcast. I've set up a list of all of the products that I use that are not prescriptions to deal with MCAS. My favorite one is Benefuki green tea. And I actually made a video about this. The short story is that a low histamine diet, which is necessary to deal with mast cell activation syndrome, does not allow you to have any green tea, black tea, or coffee, nothing fermented at all. And when I first started eating this diet, that was really upsetting to me because I am a green tea fanatic. I would drink green tea as part of my morning ritual every day. A few months into eating the low histamine diet, I discovered something called Benefuki green tea, which is a non-fermented green tea that a lot of people actually recommend for individuals with MCAS or for allergy concerns. There is some research pointing to this being helpful for MCAS. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but what I can tell you, this is the only green tea that I have found that I'm able to drink without having a flare-up. And I'm obsessed with it. I love it so much. This was sort of the impetus for me wanting to share things like this on Amazon because it made such a big difference in my life to finally find a green tea that I was able to use. There's a bunch of other products on there, natural anti-inflammatories that I use, quercetin, which is a naturopathic mast cell stabilizer, H1 and H2 antihistamines, like fexofenadine and famotidine that I use every day, all sorts of stuff that I use. I've added this Amazon shop link to the list of links that are in the show notes of every episode. And if you purchase anything off of those links, you'll be supporting the Major Pain Podcast. Something new that I'm trying out that I'm excited about. I hope you'll check it out. I've actually restructured all of the links that are in the show notes for every episode. We now have a section of social media links and a section for affiliate links, including that Amazon link and, of course, Rare Patient Voice, an amazing program where you can be paid to participate in research studies and surveys. I am working with a company on getting a new affiliate link set up. I'll tell you about that as soon as it's ready. It's something I'm really excited about. And I've also added in links directly to Spotify and Apple Podcasts because those are the two platforms that most people listen to the show on. 
Of course, there is also a link to Patreon, patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast, which is the best way to support this podcast directly with monthly financial contributions. Every month I record a bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers with my partner Andy, who was just on the show recently talking about her pituitary adenoma surgery. And as I'm recording this introduction, we just recorded a bonus episode and released it today. This was a really interesting, introspective bonus episode. Things aren't great all the time, and she and I have both been having a little bit of a rocky time, and we talk through it in the bonus episode today, which honestly really helped. It always does. Podcasting is therapy. If you're interested in signing up to support this show, you'll get monthly bonus episodes, special recognition on the podcast, and even gifts when you sign up. Speaking of recognition, extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this podcast at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to sign up. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting with your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our episode, which is me being interviewed for a change with Andrea Dunn at her RA Summit. I appreciate your graciously giving me and all of uh, the people out there who are RA warriors uh, your time. And I really hope that uh, this interview goes beyond the RA Summit, uh, you know, whether you're using it to get the word out there about how wonderful you are and how many great things you do, or we're just using it for other chronic disease warriors from all of our platforms here. So I look forward to, uh, to that expansion happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, one of the things that I want to bring to the, the world of RA Warriors and beyond is what you're doing out there. I mean, you're not just Jesse Mercury. You're, um, you're not just the label of your chronic illness, disease. You're, you're doing so much more. And it, you are really honest from my heart, exuding empowerment. Um, which is, you. you know, really what <laughs> I'm hoping others can see and, uh, and be inspired by you and, and maybe emulate it to some degree, whether it be at a large scale or a smaller degree. Uh, so um, I guess I'll start with a little bit of what I do know and then please fill in. <laughs> I guess get so excited talking with you. I, I don't even think about all the wonderful <laughs> things that I'll probably miss out on. So please fill me in. I, I won't take it as an ego, <laughs> ego shot or anything, but uh, I met you finding you on Instagram. There's such a good community of chronic disease warriors on Instagram. So I'm so glad you're using that as one of your outlets uh, to uh, inform people and, and empower people. And you're doing this, you have this major pain uh, podcast that you're doing. How did you get started on even coming up with this idea of doing a podcast for this type of theme? Yeah, good question. So Major Pain Podcast is all about interviewing people with chronic illness and disability and just hearing their stories, sharing their stories, spreading empathy and awareness and building community around something that, you know, people experiencing chronic illness and disability, we often experience that in isolation. So it can be very lonely and difficult to get through on this sort of emotional, lonely level on top of also, you know, we're in pain, we're sick, all those things. So where it came from is I started my podcasting career back in 2015 with a show called Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. And I was just podcasting about science fiction. 
uh, that eventually morphed into the Space Nerds podcast. And I was just, you know, hanging out with my friends talking about Star Trek, Star Wars, sci-fi of any kind. And it was super fun. But in the midst of that, actually within the first year of starting that podcast, my mystery illness flared up. And I have been living with this mystery illness on and off throughout my entire life. It got really bad in my 20s. And I had to, you know, miss a year of doing anything, miss a year of work. At that point, we thought it was just mold sensitivity. So I moved. That's when I came up to Seattle. But I never really got back to 100%. And I'd have, I've had issues going back as far as second grade with mold exposure. But we thought it was just environmental. So I go back to my life. You know, I work four days a week. I start the sci-fi podcast. I'm playing in bands. And then all of a sudden, my, my health flares up pretty significantly in my early 30s. I was about 32 years old when this happened, right in that first year when I started the sci-fi podcast. And all of a sudden, I can't go to work. I go on short-term leave. My body's in so much pain. I'm having muscle spasms, brain fog can't really function just lying around at home all day. <laughs> but I'm still trying to get this podcast out. And I didn't want to tell anyone on the podcast. You know, I had this, this building audience that I was creating for talking about sci-fi, and I just wanted to keep it light and fun. But after I think about six months of being sick, I just couldn't keep it a secret anymore. It was affecting the show, it was affecting my ability to show up and create this thing that I was doing for fun. So I did a two-part episode called Maybe He's Born With It, Maybe It's Lyme Disease, <laughs> because uh, at the time I was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease. And I, I heard from so many people. You know, normally I'm making this podcast, I'll hear from, from a person, maybe two people every once in a while that are listening, that are excited about what I'm talking about. But then I made this, this two-part episode about chronic illness and talking about my experience of what it was like to have this illness that had been sort of invisible throughout my life, but was now like my bringing my life to a complete standstill. And because I heard from so many people, it really kind of got my gears turning of, you know, there, there's a real potential for impact here and a potential to build community around this thing that I felt ashamed to talk about. And just finally opening up about it just felt really good. And I didn't expect it to. I expected it to be like a really traumatic thing that I kind of had to rip the bandaid off and tell everyone make my invisible illness visible. But I recognized that there was a potential there for something really special. And I thought about it for years. My health continued to decline. It got to the point where I couldn't run my sci-fi podcast anymore. I couldn't string enough words together to talk for an hour each week about science fiction. I recognized that if I was going to continue to podcast, I had to switch gears and do something where I was interviewing people, where I wasn't the one being interviewed. And the only thing that made sense to me to do was to start a show about chronic illness and disability and just collect other people's stories. And at that point, I didn't have a diagnosis. So, you know, I, of course, I had this secondary goal of figuring out what was going on with me, like figuring out what is my chronic illness? Is there any way to treat it? So that's where the podcast came from. And I started the show and we're in the midst of the third season right now. And <laughs> thank you. Yeah, the community has grown I learned so much about how to fight for myself and advocate for myself just from hearing other people's stories. And I think that there's so much power in just connecting with other people who are sick. You know, doctors try their hardest, sometimes not so hard, but sometimes if you find the right doctor, they try pretty hard. But still, sometimes they, you can't make progress. You know, doctors don't really know what to do. You have such a rare disease, they just don't know which way to look. You know, for my disease, uh, we can talk about the diagnostic process, but. I still am testing negative for it. And it, it ended up being, you know, let's just try the medication. And that worked so well that I got a diagnosis. You know, I, I got to the point where I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't really walk anymore. I could barely function. 
But starting the podcast really helped me to rebuild a lot of my functionality, sort of taking a step back, doing something that was completely designed to work while I was flared up, build a structure that I could plug in stories into every week, something that I could actually create, even though I was super sick. And I started to rebuild from there. Then I got a diagnosis and now, you know, I'm doing so much better. And then I just won my disability case. So <laughs> Gosh, now, congrats. Yeah, like things have really turned around for me. And I, I just recently got a grant from the Stimpunks Foundation to create the podcast. And I'm just, you know, really been overwhelmed with gratitude for what creating this show has brought to my life. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's for sure, you know, an interesting thing to hear that, you know, usually when you're hearing about an influencer in a certain um, medical field, they have the diagnosis and then they go from <laughs> there. So you're definitely like reverse engineering how to <laughs> how to handle a chronic illness. Uh, <laughs> So I, um, I hope that even in general inspires people that if maybe there's a, a chronic uh, illness disease warrior out there right now that's watching that doesn't have a diagnosis, that that doesn't have to keep you in limbo. You can mm. still try, you know, to keep trying to open doors and find a door that opens to get some level of happiness or calm or a semblance of normal out yeah. there for you. That's, that's really important. That's actually... I think one of the biggest shifts in mindset that I had, I used to feel like I could either fight for a diagnosis or I could focus on my quality of life and just forget about getting a diagnosis and just try to make my life as good as possible within the limitations of the illness. But eventually I realized that I needed to do both at the same time. I sort of needed to find a way to fight for a diagnosis while also focusing on my quality of life and what, you know, focusing on what can I do, get creative within the limitations jumping into using a wheelchair was the biggest leap that I made. I think that gave me the most benefit because, you know, my life was just really enclosed in this small studio apartment, which I had to live in a small apartment because I couldn't get around very easily. You know, I was what's called an ambulatory wheelchair user where I can walk a little bit, but uh, not very far at all. So if I leave the apartment, I would use the wheelchair. And then all of a sudden the whole world opened up to me before using the wheelchair is just like, I can't really leave the apartment unless I'm having a good day. And even then I might get stuck somewhere and that would happen. I'd have to like call people to come right. get me because my legs would give out in the middle of the street somewhere. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So using a wheelchair, it's like, wow, now I can go to Disneyland, you know, yeah. <laughs> now I can do all these things that were just physically impossible. And it's a big mental barrier mm -hmm. to move into using any sort of accessibility device but they're so worth using. They exist for a reason. You know, I, I started with a cane, moved into a wheelchair. I got a, a shower chair, all these things that allowed me to do more throughout the day. And all of a sudden, my experience of disability became so much more positive because I was willing to take those leaps and try out new things. And that really impacted my point of view when talking to doctors, you know, let's try new things. Let's get creative. Let's look in under rocks that we haven't even considered before. And then I learned about all these different diseases from doing the podcast. The first time I heard about my disease, which is called mast cell activation syndrome, and I also have small fiber neuropathy. The first time I heard about uh, mast cell activation was from a podcast guest. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that disease is now in the back of my mind of something to ask a doctor about. And of course that process took forever, but we <laughs> finally got there. And once I got on mast cell stabilizing medication, I was out of the wheelchair within three months. Wow. And, and that's it, you know, and that's the disease I kept testing negative for, but the testing is super inaccurate, which most doctors don't even know. Luckily, I 
you know, got in with a really great mast cell specializing allergist who was able to figure this out for me. And he said, you know, the testing doesn't really mean that much. We're going to test you. If you test positive, that's great. But if you test negative, we're going to try the medication and see what happens. And that's when we hit a home run. And if that doctor hadn't been willing to try that, you know, I'd still be searching. So hmm. I don't know, all these things had to line up and, and the podcast was such a big part of it. Did they ever send you to a rheumatologist by any chance? Many, many times. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw several rheumatologists. I, the first appointment, I'd tell them my whole life story. <laughs> then they'd send me to get some labs done. And the second appointment, they'd say, everything's normal. There's nothing I can do for you. Go see a psychologist, you know? <laughs> oh, my heart breaks for you. Yeah, it's really frustrating. But, you know, with, with MCAS, it's a very new diagnosis. I'm not exactly sure when it was first applied, but I've heard that um, like in, in the, I think in the 2010s was when it was first wow. diagnosed or maybe like 2008, something like that. So there's so much we don't know. And, and like I said, the testing is really inaccurate and very preliminary. You know, we, we don't really have good tests yet for MCAS. You kind of test around it and hope to find something. But in my experience, the only real solid way to find out if you have MCAS is to try going on the protocol, which is pretty intense. But for me, it worked so well that it made it sort of like a ball rolling down a hill. It's like, yeah, I can do these things if I have to do them to get better. Could you explain a little bit about what the your two diagnoses sure. is? Because yeah. I think a lot of people, unless they've been told about mast cells or they're in biology class, it's probably not coming up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So essentially, mast cells, M-A-S-T, not M-A-S-S, mast cells are a white blood cell that everybody has, and they are involved in regulating your body's response to allergens. So for me, if I am around mold, mold is my big trigger. My mast cells will, you know, think that I'm being attacked by a horrible allergen and start releasing chemicals into my bloodstream. And there are over a thousand chemicals that mast cells can release. So my mast cells are way overactive. And it got to the point where every time I would eat, they would release chemicals into my body. And that's the big thing that I didn't no, I knew about the mold because we kind of pieced that together, but I had no idea about, you know, every time I was eating, I was getting sick. So essentially I was being chemically poisoned all day, every day. And that sort of led to a downstream effect of nerve damage, which is the small fiber neuropathy. Small fiber neuropathy is most common in diabetes, but there's all sorts of autoimmune diseases that can cause it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when your body is attacking itself all the time, it's possible for you to start to develop nerve damage. And it's like the there's large fibers and small fibers, and the small fibers will start to shorten. And you can actually see that in a skin biopsy. So yeah. the way that I confirmed this was I had a skin biopsy done where they took you know a punch biopsy out of five different yeah. places on my body. Look at those, you know, layers of skin under a microscope and they could see my nerve fibers shortening. And the only reason we thought to even do that is I had a full dysautonomia panel done. Uh, I now go to the University of Washington Medical Center. It's incredible. One of my biggest pieces of advice, if you're struggling to find a diagnosis, go to a teaching hospital like the University of Washington. There's still some of the medical gaslighting that you'll find everywhere. And still sometimes <laughs> there's doctors that aren't That's really- That's been trained. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the experience at, at UW has been hundreds of percent better. It's been so much better. My primary care is incredible. A lot of the specialists I've seen is, have been extremely helpful. And I got this diagnosis, but I went for went in for a dysautonomia panel where they do the tilt table test looking for POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which was negative for me, which surprised By the way, us. A, a lot of people with RA will have POTS. Yeah. And I think I, I think it's possible to have small fiber neuropathy also mm -hmm. with RA. I'm not okay. sure about that. Yep. Um, 
I think I think that's a possibility, or okay. even ankylosing spondylitis. I think as well, mm-hmm. um, and all this stuff I've learned from talking to people with these diseases, which is you know those are the real experts, is the people living with the disease. Right. So part of this this autonomia panel was they did a sweat test where they they put like a band on your skin and then they run chemicals through the band to burn your skin and then they measure how long it takes for you to start sweating, which sounds medieval. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I was in so much chronic pain anyway that it was not that bad. It was yeah, not you as were bad like, as... just bring out the leeches already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm in so much pain on the right side that when you burn the left side, it actually kind of evens me out and I feel a little, <laughs> little better. Um, so I had an abnormal sweat response, which is a sign of small fiber neuropathy. And then I started looking up this disease and I found this article about a journalist who discovered that he had it and his legs were just not working. You know, he would try to be walking and all of a sudden he can't communicate with his legs and his legs just give out. I'm like, that's my life. You know, that sounds so much like me. And that is not common with mast cell activation syndrome. And that was a big part of like, why it was so hard to pinpoint the right disease because some of my most extreme symptoms didn't really match up with MCAS, but new research is coming out linking MCAS to small fiber neuropathy. You have all these chemicals in your bloodstream all the time. It would make sense that you might have nerve damage. And that nerve damage is like, is, is everywhere in, in your, well, it can be everywhere in your whole body. For me, we think that's the case. Mm-hmm. And that can affect your autonomic nervous system. It can affect your heart. It can affect your organs. So that's what we think was going on with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the punch biopsy was positive, And that was like, get the test result. There's actually something on the test. And I'm screaming and hooting and hollering and running <laughs> around the house. You know, I'd already been diagnosed with MCAS at that point, just as a clinical diagnosis. Uh, and some of my blood work for allergens was way high, like way off the charts just for, you know, the antibodies for allergens in my bloodstream. Mm. And that's what sent us on this path in the first place, besides my own suspicions of, you know, talking to people on the podcast with that disease. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the combo and that's sort of the functionality in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, But you know, if you, MCAS is something that's like really starting to come into or under the microscope nationally, or even in the world, because there's a lot of suspicion that uh, people that are having lingering symptoms post COVID might have some sort of mast cell dysregulation that, Mm. you know, MCAS is something that's usually acquired. It's not usually something you're born with. There's theories that it can be. My doctor thinks that I might have been born with it, Mm. but I'm suspicious of, you know, did I have a virus when I was a kid? It it like switched on as some sort of post viral thing. I, I don't know. The The research is still being done because we just don't right. know yet because it's well, still such a new diagnosis. That's exactly what I mean. That's what viruses do. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. one of the ways to get rheumatoid arthritis is mm-hmm. very much a genetic change from a trauma of some sort. I, in my course, I talk about that. It could have been mono. It could have been a bad car wreck. It could have been a mental like just purely a mental trauma, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're mentioning exactly that. It doesn't have to just turn into rheumatoid. It could exactly affect someone like you yeah that that switch is flipped chronic illness turns on and that's something i've i I love about major pain is that there's so much commonality and experience among the people that i interview and you know with my experience too and it's so heartwarming and helpful i think to hear from other people going through something similar because i just thought that i was the only person for so long that had a mystery illness like this Mm -hmm. i never met anyone else like that i remember the first time i met someone with a mystery illness who had a bad mold reaction I was uh, on on the clipper from Victoria to Seattle after like a little little vacation with the person I was dating at the time for our anniversary. And we just happened to be sitting next to someone who's like, yeah, I have mold problems. And I was like, I, I, that's incredible. You know, I'm not the only person. I, I had talked to, I think, two people in my entire life 
with anything similar before starting the podcast. And now I talk to people with similar things every week, you know, and it's, it's really, really changed my life. You know, it's like, uh, like you could be living in an apartment complex with a whole bunch of other strangers that you've never met. And there's someone there that's just like you, that if you could just go down and knock on their door and talk to them for a second, you'd have this sense of companionship that you thought was impossible, but it will never happen because we don't talk to our neighbors, you know, but, (laughs) but the podcast is like, and the internet and social media are all these bridges that can bring us together with people who are similar, who have lived through something similar, very similar to what, what you're doing now, you know, reaching out to other RA patients. And all of a sudden we can have that community around this thing that was, you know, that we've been suffering through that all of a sudden can become more manageable. It can really change your mindset about how to live through it. Yeah, I, I mean, and and I'm so uh, grateful for you to be able to talk in depth about it because th- this could be, a you know, an adjunct illness disease, you know, for someone with RA or, sure. you know, that's diagnosed as RA and it be something else. Uh, many times the diagnoses for RA have ch- will change four or five times before they settle on it being RA or not being RA. So, you know, for sure, this is, I mean, this is even has me thinking, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know, (laughs) there's totally, there's totally overlap there because I thought I had RA several times because of the way my chronic pain was presenting. Um, Although, you know, we, we ruled it out because mine was mostly on one side and I would have joint pain, but it would come and go, you know, and I think that that's possible with RA as well, but uh, the the sort of layout of my pain didn't quite match. And then when I went on the treatment for MCAS, the pain got so much better. And my my small fiber neuropathy pain got better. Small fiber neuropathy is more of like the tingly, burny pain. Mm-hmm. Or if like being touched is extremely painful, putting clothes on can be really painful. Wow. Your skin is just super sensitive. Yeah. Um, and then you'll have, you know, autonomic dysfunction, like it, difficulty walking, heart palpitations, high heart rate, stuff like that. Whereas the MCAS usually shows up with like skin flushing, rashes showing up on your face, like uh, more allergic uh, symptoms. Hmm. But for me, it was like, it was more the chemical poisoning than the allergy symptoms that were a problem, which again is why it was so hard to diagnose, but it does come with a lot of pain. You know, there's a lot of full body pain and then uh, more specific areas of pain, like tingly and burny pain in my arms and my legs and then full body pain if I'd have a flare up, but all of it has improved for me with my MCAS treatment. Wow. I I think what's, uh, what's interesting is, is how similar, you know, your experience are is as far as not having a diagnosis, struggling through it, being told you're potentially got to have a psychosis, Mm. um, you know, being told they can't help you going to multiple doctors and even the types of pain or the fact that, there's multiple types that don't add up. You know, it's very similar to obviously many people's journeys, but with RA, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything in your diagnosis journey, you know, journey to get a, a finally a diagnosis that you want to point or out or haven't mentioned or, you know, sure. a tip that for sure tips that could really help people, you know, with a lot of this, you know, because, you know, for us, for us, like the rheumatologist can be our saving grace. What people don't yeah. realize is uh, that rheumatologists are really the Sherlock Holmes of 
of anomalies. So it makes sense why you were sent to so many rheumatologists, because it's kind of like here, you know, we can't figure it out. You try to figure it out and see yeah. what you come up with. And for you, it was almost an adversary yeah. you know, <laughs> to have a rheumatologist. Yeah. And that was the same with my many neurologists as well. I mean, I went through behavioral psychology analysis multiple times in order to continue to get care. So that brings me to my first tip, which is have a therapist, you know, <laughs> start this process with a therapist for a couple of reasons. One, therapists are awesome. You know, it's really important to process through the emotional turmoil of living through a chronic illness. But strategically, when you go into an appointment with a specialist, I think I hear this constantly of people being doubted about their pain, being gaslit about their pain, being told that it's psychosomatic. The word psychosomatic becomes such a trigger emotionally for all of us, you know? Um, and I yeah. continually had to prove that I was in pain because it's invisible. So how are they supposed to see it? So I, I really like the strategy of when that comes up, because it will come up. When that comes up, you can say, I totally understand why you would say that and bring that up. I recognize that that's an important thing to consider. I have been in therapy for a long time. You know, I have a therapist that I'm talking to about this. Uh, we really feel like we are doing as much as we can to keep my mental health in check throughout this process, but we do not believe that my mental health is responsible for this pain. I think that that's a really powerful card to pull out. And also just expect that doctors are gonna go there and don't get angry. You know, it's so hard. It's so hard. Don't take it personally. This is just a checklist that these doctors have to go down. It's one of those things they have to ask about. So be prepared to answer that question calmly with a really good answer about what you are proactively doing for your mental health. And it helps. I think that that really helps. Don't be afraid to fire your doctor. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to switch doctors. Don't be afraid to abandon entire medical centers and go somewhere else. I have, I've been through several, I, I think three medical centers before landing on University of Washington. And like I said, it's night and day at a teaching hospital, but the hospitals I was going to before, I just went to every specialist and no one could really help me out. I was misdiagnosed with several things along the way. I was misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia, with uh, conversion disorder, which is now known as functional neurological disorder, uh, Lyme disease, chronic migraines, so many things. And every time I'd get a diagnosis, you know, it's this process of, is that right? Do I integrate that into my personality or do I forget about that one? Right. Um, and honestly, that really comes down to your instinct and your understanding of your own body. You're going to have to develop this relationship with your body and with your pain that you never thought you were going to, which is, you know, trying to figure out what am I doing that helps? What am I doing that hurts? You know, I never kept a food diary. I think that it would have been really helpful if I had because I did not understand. Well, maybe not because, you know, I have to eat this low histamine diet for MCAS. You don't accidentally stumble into a low histamine diet. You have to like, <laughs> you have to look it up and study. And it's like all these foods that are supposed to be healthy, you know, anything fermented, kombucha, mm -hmm. uh, sauerkraut, all these foods I was eating a lot of because my naturopath was telling me to, that's what was making me sick. You know, that has really high levels of histamine. And that was causing my body, my mast cells to degranulate and to release wow. chemicals. Uh, and now that I know that I avoid those foods and that's a huge part of me getting better as is all the medication that I'm on. Yeah. I mean, I think those are some really important things to consider, but like I said, be willing to leave your medical center behind and start over somewhere else. You have to have a primary care that is on your side. And if you can't find one at your hospital, try a different hospital. There's definitely a danger in this of, you know, I, this has happened to me many times where I'll see a doctor for the first time and they'll say, you have so many doctors on your chart. 
you're obviously just looking for attention. There's nothing I can do for you. You know, that happens for sure. But if you have a first appointment with someone who says that, never go back. You know, you don't need to go back. You got to follow your gut. And most importantly, you have to believe in yourself. I, I really started to doubt myself. All these doctors telling me that it was psychosomatic. When you have like a dozen doctors tell you that your chronic pain is all in your mind. Yeah. And for me, it like started to break down my sense of self and it became a mental health problem. It didn't start that way, but it became one because of the way I was treated. You know, there's so many people that have like complex PTSD from medical trauma. So, wow. you know, that definitely started to happen to me as well. And it, I started to doubt myself and there was huge swaths of time over the, you know, over decade long process of me trying to find a diagnosis, huge amounts of time where I stopped going to the doctor at all. And I started going to a naturopath instead. And that was a whole other horrible experience. <laughs> there's, there's great naturopaths out there for sure, but this was not a good fit for me. And this person encouraged me to not go to the doctor, to put my care into his hands. And that's something I very highly recommend against. I think it's important to pursue multiple options at once, pursue mm -hmm. multiple things at the same time. Don't yeah. put all your eggs in one basket. Right. If you have a potential diagnosis, do not, you know, do not let go of the weight. Do not drop this weight that you're carrying and say, okay, well, this is probably it. So I'm going to stop trying everything else. Right. You know, wait until it's confirmed or until the treatment is helping. Yeah. I mean, I went down all these avenues of like, you got to get worse till you get better. And I just got worse. And that's, that's what happened with this naturopath. And it was extremely traumatic for me. One of the hardest parts of the process for me. So, you know, it's, it is important to pursue naturopathic options to take as little uh, pharmaceutical options as possible. But for me, I have to take like five pharmaceuticals every day. That's as few as possible for me. I take naturopathic things as well. And mm -hmm. learning to accept that, I think, in certain cases is really important. I know with RA patients being on like methotrexate or biologics, like these are hardcore yeah. medications that yeah. sometimes you have to take and like accepting that can be really difficult. Well, yeah. And so, also yeah. accepting doesn't acceptance doesn't mean you have to like you're signing signing a binding contract with the devil. It doesn't mean <laughs> you have to accept it five or ten years from now. Yeah. It means where you're at right now to get beyond and better, this is what you're willing to accept and do. You know, you, you yeah. basically said that when you went to the wheelchair, like to get, overcome that mental part, you you decided priority wise that you wanted to live rather than be homebound. Yeah. And, you know, that's an excellent point. And when I started using the wheelchair, there were people in my life who took one look at me and said, well, that's it. He's in a wheelchair for life. And I will admit that that thought absolutely occurred sure. to me, you know, but the, the change that happened for me is that I recognize my life is better with this wheelchair. I would gladly be in this wheelchair for life if, if I have to be, because that means my life is better than it would be without the wheelchair. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And the same is true of medication. But then my situation changed and I didn't need the wheelchair anymore. And jumping to this idea of, oh, this is for life is not healthy. It, I don't think that that serves, serves people like us well. If you're on methotrexate for RA, I mean, I've heard many stories of people saying that they took that for a while to get it under control. And then they find a naturopathic option that they can switch to, you know, a special diet or with you with the essential oils. You know, we had so much fun talking about that <laughs> on your podcast episode. Yeah, That works for some people, you know, it definitely doesn't work for some people, but it does work for some people. Right. So it, you might be one of those people. And the only way to find out is to try. And with MCAS, with my diagnosis, it's super individualized. So you just really never know 
what's going to be the right thing for you until you try. And I'm still trying. I, you know, I got this diagnosis uh, in the middle of 2023. I've been on the protocols for about a year at this point. So I, I've been out of the wheelchair since um, January of 2023. Now it's now January of 2024. So it's been almost exactly a year. I've used Congrats. it like <laughs> twice. <laughs> sure. I've used it twice in that time on, on rough days. I still have rough days. And if I cheat on my diet, if I miss my medication, I will flare. Um, there's a lot of medication to keep track of. I take meds seven times a day and it's all day, every day I'm treating this disease, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm getting into a groove with it. I'm still experimenting and I'm still, you know, there's hits and there's misses. And with the misses, it could take me a couple of weeks to recover sometimes. Getting on disability has been the the biggest gift because now I have some financial security to make those experiments, and I got back pay for met for four wow. of the years of four out of six of the years that I was not working. Wow, um, which was I mean so incredible. So, you know, good things can happen. I never thought that was possible. I right. that's actually that brings me to my last huge piece of advice, which is apply for disability right away, and and get a lawyer right away. Disability lawyers generally do not charge you unless they win your case. And that's the biggest piece of news that I did not know. I could have applied for disability years ago, but I'm like, I can't afford a lawyer, so I'm not even going to try. But the lawyers only get paid when they win your case. So it's in their best interest to win your case. My lawyer, um, John Chihawk, if you're in Washington State, go to wadisability.com. Chihawk and Chihawk is the firm. Um, John and Robin Chihawk did amazing work for me. They won my case. They took my case when I didn't have a diagnosis, which is very hard to win. Wow. I got my diagnosis right before my hearing, which was, you know, again, yeah. things just like lining up for me now in ways that they hadn't been for, you know, for a decade. So, um, yeah, apply for disability right away. You're going to get denied probably multiple times. Just keep trying. And that's the same with doctors. You know, you're going to strike out over and over, but you only need to knock it out of the park once. It's like dating. You know, if you're if you're a monogamous person looking for a long-term life partner, you got to date so many people and then you'll finally get it right. And it, that could take you like 20 years, right? And you finally get it right, but you only need to get it right once. Why are we expecting that every doctor is going to be the perfect fit for us when we are like the unicorn, you know, we're a zebra with this chronic illness. It's yes. so hard to figure out. You got to find someone who's willing to dig and, you know, ask your clinic. Do you have doctors here that like mystery cases? That That's something I never thought to ask. That's how I got into a lot of the right doors was I found a primary care doctor, um, in my my regular PCP's office, I found someone else who I saw who's really interested in, in mystery cases. And she sent me to the allergist who diagnosed me, you know? <sighs> so ask these questions. When you talk to the, when you call a therapist's office, ask them, do you have a therapist on site who deals with chronic pain, who deals with mystery illness? That's the person I need to talk to. And that, and like I said, that can be so helpful to have as ammunition as this card that you can pull out and say, I got my mental health in check. My mental health is not why I'm in pain. This therapist and I have been working through this for a long time. So, you know, let's put that down and, and keep considering other things and yeah. learning how to stand up for yourself in, in, in the doctor's office and say, this is what I know to be true based off of my body's reaction to things and the other doctors that I've had workups with. And I need your help to make it to the next step. You know, it, all these things took me so long. I grew a lot as a person. I'm a totally different person than I was before. I like myself better now. I've learned some life lessons that were very hard to internalize. I have you know, lived through being extremely disabled. And now when I am able to ride my bike or go for a jog, I try to remain in this state of gratitude that those things are even possible for me. And it's really changed my life for the better. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of studies, you know, at California 
uh, research colleges and around here, MIT, and and they sh they show that gratitude does give off a vibration off of people. When someone is in extreme gratitude, it's actually a different like meter reading uh, yeah. at a higher level. <laughs> and cool. um, those same those same levels um, correlate with um, pain relief. Hmm. So it, you know for sure. I, I mean, if you went the doom and gloom route for too long or now you might maybe feel like these you know treatments aren't working you yeah. know so yeah that that's super important and it's i mean how do you not feel doom and gloom when your body isn't working it's extremely yeah. difficult right. and it took i i went through years and years and years of not being able to disconnect those two things but i finally got to a place where it's like if i'm going to live i need to make it so that being in pain does not mean i'm depressed and that that was a really hard wow uh, process of like you know these two things like felt like one but they're two they are two mm -hmm. things you know you can be in pain and not be depressed and i spent many years on my couch taking cannabis edibles and playing video games on my nintendo switch you know because that's all i could do i mean i was starting the major pain podcast i was trying to do things that were productive but i couldn't sit up for more than you know like 30 to 60 minutes at a time and i kept having to lie down and get stuck i couldn't read because my brain was mush yeah uh, so it just became about finding things that i could do that would distract me from what i was experiencing enough you know i was using cannabis for pain when i had no other options mm -hmm. I don't need it anymore, which is incredible because I have treatment for MCAS, which is hitting the pain better than cannabis ever did. And my brain fog has gotten so much better. So I'm back to being a voracious reader. I'm reading like all the fantasy and sci-fi books I can get my hands on. And that's something that I just gave up, you know, that I thought would never come back. And now I'm barely playing video games at all, which feels yeah. like progress. <laughs> I, mean, I love games. I'm a huge gamer, but like yeah. I, all those years of doing that, it's like I, I, I want to do other things now because I can. Wow. I mean, and for sure, just hearing and, and, you know, on top of that, you don't you realize that you're in like a trauma mode, you're in a survival mode. So when you're going through it, and you don't even know your brain actually just shifts into almost like there's all these threats around me, there's a threat of being told that I'm faking it, there's the threat of um, the worst case scenario, there's the threat of losing relationships, the, the threat of not not ever finding love or a future and all these things your brain is subconsciously processing my, on top of the pain on top of insomnia on top of just regular basic needs that yeah. maybe can't be met like you know I, i'm sure you've felt it i've felt it where i'm hungry and the things that i have in my house require more energy than i'm willing to give or, or even <laughs> feel i have yeah. so now i'm prioritizing my pain over my hunger over my need to sustain and nourish myself and that's a survival mechanism and yeah your brain becomes mush for a, a lot of reasons you yeah. know well i have a couple of questions you mentioned your symptoms. So you had um, just these unexplained bouts of pain. And uh, were they in any areas or were that like, was it like a, an elbow or a knee or you mentioned your legs? Yeah, so I'd get tingly burny pains, right arm, right leg, mostly uh, knee pain that would come and go that felt more like joint pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I have this pain in my right temple that we still haven't figured out. We think it might be like chronic inflammation in my right temple. It seems to sort of fluctuate with my MCAS flare-ups, but we can't figure out any reason why that would be the case. And then just the full body, everything hurts during a bad MCAS flare-up mm -hmm. that was just like a huge puzzle for so long. Yeah, 
feel you there. Um, what did you do in that like first year when like 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 literally day by day? What did you do when you when you couldn't do anything? Basically, like how did yeah. you get through that first year? Basically, what did it look like? It was a lot of me stuck on the couch. Yeah. Uh, first, I went on short term disability from work. I was a leasing agent at apartments here in Seattle, Washington. Went on short-term disability and I just remember the last day I went to work, even just getting fed was, you know, like you said, so incredibly difficult. I had to pick up food from the corner, walking off the bus, shuffling my feet, like could barely get my legs to work. And mm -hmm. I picked up food off the corner store and then I got home and they forgot the sauce. And I'm like, I gotta eat this dry, you know, I'm in so much pain. And it was a lot of just like lying on the couch and watching TV. I mean, I making doctor's appointments, trying to get myself there and then just resting for all the rest of the time. You know, I've talked to some people with chronic fatigue syndrome and I, uh, I very much relate to this existence of like, you're on the couch and you're just waiting for doctor's appointments and everything you do wipes you out so much that you can't do anything else. Just eating and dressing yourself is all you can do in a day. And I was still trying to create my, my podcast, the sci-fi podcast back then. I made it through a couple of years of doing that. And then eventually that petered out. And I'm just like, I just can't keep doing it. That's when I switched gears to major pain. But I've always been a very creative person. For a while, I was uh, game streaming, playing video games live. I'd like save up my energy. I'd go live. I'd play for a couple hours. For a time, that was really good for me. But again, like I couldn't maintain it energy wise. And mm -hmm. I had to stop doing it eventually. I was just having so many symptoms on stream. I was getting really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that finding some sort of creative project, some sort of place to put your energy that feels productive, that feels like you're building something, that's what major pain has been to me. Um, and I think that that's, that's a really important thing to consider when you're in that chronic illness state of not being able to do much of anything. Find something, find one thing, get creative, one thing that gives your life a, a sense of purpose and put your good energy into it. And for me, that's really made a, a lot of difference. So, so I guess that that'll bring me to my my last question to kind of that's a perfect empowerment exact mindset that I'm hoping um, people will hear and latch onto. And so, just thinking, what was your what was your turning point? Do do you have a a thought or an action or something that happened that that then kind of whether or not you knew it at the time was that thing that like shot you shot you up towards really taking charge or really yeah. feeling like there's a there's a chance again yeah uh, there is a moment for that i just had my seven year anniversary with my partner andy she's incredible and she's been with me for uh almost the entirety of this flare-up like we met pretty soon after my flare-up started and i think it was our four-year anniversary i want to say maybe our three three or four year anniversary where we had both just been kind of living in this holding pattern, just waiting for things to happen, you know, waiting for me to get a diagnosis, waiting for our lives to be able to start, waiting for me to be well enough to go on a trip or, you know, to start thinking about starting a family or, you know, getting married, all these things. We're just waiting. And about three or four years in, right around our anniversary, I had this epiphany of we could be waiting forever. You know, we, we might be waiting to live forever. And I need to choose to live now. And I need for us to focus on quality of life now. And if that means that we can't be together, that needs to be okay. And we had this like very tearful conversation on our anniversary <laughs> about like, do we stay together? Can we stay together if I never get better? 
And that was the, the turning point of, I need to start living for now. You know, we didn't have an answer at that point, but what we decided to do was start trying to make our lives good now. Let's see if we can manage with this illness as, you know, the third member of our relationship indefinitely. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's not going to work. So that's, that's what really helped me to make the choice to get a wheelchair and helped me to focus my energy on the things that gave me joy. You know, I kind of put everything else down. I stopped game streaming. I stopped the sci-fi podcast and I picked up projects that were going to give me life and feed me life and be things I could do on good days. Started the major pain podcast. I also started green screening myself into every episode of Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> Cause I'm a that huge was my fan. favorite version. Yeah. It's the best one. It's my favorite by far. <laughs> and I always wanted to, you know, be in Star Trek, but so I've been, you know, recontextualizing the show and making it an absurdist comedy just as something to kind of give, give me life. And you know what? It's not something I work on every day. I can't, I don't have the energy for that, but on the days where I was well enough, I would make videos that were silly and have connected with an audience of nerds who just want to have fun. And that brought so much joy to my life and kind of just focusing on like, what brings me joy? I'm going to make sure I have some joy and comfort every day. And it really helped our relationship. Like I said, we just hit seven years. We're not talking about getting married and having kids and all these things now feel possible. And, you know, we still have to have the conversations of like, I don't think that I can get up in the middle of the night to take care of a baby because if I don't get good sleep, I flare all day. So, and then I'm just like useless all day. So there's all this accommodation that still needs to happen, but mm -hmm. it's something that we're coming from a place of having a diagnosis, having medication and me doing so much better that the future just seems so much brighter. But we also kind of went through this process of learning that we could make it without that, that, you know, me being in a wheelchair opened up so many possibilities for us and brought us, uh, you know, so much more happiness as a couple just to be able to do more together. And we were happy then. That was the turning point, the moment that kind of changed my perspective. And I think that this is something that everyone can do, whether or not you have chronic pain or chronic illness or disability is just find joy every day because joy is cumulative just like sadness is cumulative. If you're depressed all the time, and I get depressed, absolutely. But if I live in that depression all the time, then it sort of slides into being depressed as my state of being. And yeah. I've been in and out of that in my life. And yeah. it's hard to get out of. So I try to you know, keep myself above that. Um, like uh, By above that, I mean, like that's like a, a dip that I slide into sometimes. And I just want to not slide into it. Um, so I find that the more I focus on joy and doing things that provide meaning to my life, the, the more I feel like my life is happy. You know, it's something yeah. that is a practice that has to be worked at. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really changed things for the better for me. Well, I, I mean, just, I mean, that is, that conversation was extremely brave. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> a, that really, that is a, a brave conversation to have because it's not just about vulnerability. You had the first accept that, um, you know, this is where you're at and shift, shift just a touch to say, I'm no longer looking at the disability and keeping the life here. I'm now kind of heading this way and, and willing to being willing to let go of something that might've been one of your few stability points, you know, having, you know, Andy, and then, um, you know, potentially having to let that go. Yeah, that is a really brave, courageous, you know, conversation to, to even navigate to no less through. Yeah, yeah. And sure. it, 
that's the conversation that made us strong. You know, it, it's what made it feel like we have a future. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that old thing. If you love someone, let them go. Uh, and if it's right, then it'll work. Yeah. And so I don't know. That's I'm not I'm not someone to give relationship advice, but this is just what's uh, what's what happened in my life and what was a turning point for extreme positivity. And, you know, Andy is an incredible partner that I'm so grateful to be with and so grateful that she rode through some really hard years with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she actually has dealt with uh, her own chronic illness situation. She had a pituitary adenoma that set her hormones out of whack for years. She just had surgery recently. That's something else we've chronicled on the podcast on major pain. Okay. And, you know, that was extremely difficult, but because we'd had so much practice dealing with chronic illness with me, I felt like I finally had the chance to support her and, you know, relationships are give and take. I've been so grateful to have this relationship in my life and to have the opportunity to have give and take in a relationship because we've stuck together. Yeah. And I think uh, that was one of the hard points for me uh, when I was married and dealing with it is I had a hard time believing and understanding that sometimes for better or for worse, last years yes. in one side, on one side. And that was a lot of, you know, you spoke on on mentioning shame. You know, I felt horribly guilty mm. about not living up to what an ideal wife was and stepmom was supposed to be. And uh, I didn't, I didn't know until my husband at the time got, you know, had needed a surgery and then needed another surgery. And then I had to do the caring that it can be each, you know, each person, you know, has an opportunity to give when needed. And sometimes, you know, you're the, you're the spouse or the partner that gives for three years. And sometimes you're the one that uh, only has to give for like three months. And then you have these other give and takes and it's well worth it because, the um, the enriching uh, relationship together, like what you make the lives together, you know, with. So yeah, that's a great point. Oh, well, uh, I'm so grateful for you to uh, to come on, and and I'm sure that your information is going to be well heard and is very valuable. I mean, just really some of the things that I never even considered with, you know, being an empowerment coach or an RA uh, coach and and living my own you know, part and, and even having uh, courses on like how to talk to your doctor. There are things that you are mentioning that are very wise tips and I'm looking forward to uh, quoting you on them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so. you so much. Yeah. It's really great to chat with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. If people are interested, you can find the major pain podcast on all podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, just search for it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can go to our website, majorpainpodcast.com. We've got a ton of episodes, including Andrea's episode, which is super fun. Uh, just, you know, head to the website, search for a disease you're interested in and and go from there. And you have stuff on YouTube as well? Is yeah, we're it? on uh, TikTok, YouTube and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast. I post a clip from every episode to kind of give you the, the one minute version mm-hmm. of what's usually about an hour long conversation. Well, great. And I'll definitely be posting your information for sure. So people don't have to memorize it yeah. from this video. <laughs> so <laughs> no worries so like that. And I, I appreciate you taking the, the time to record this with me. Um, I, I want to mention um, that, you know, we, we definitely have this understanding of self-care and, you know, for you, this was to do the video ahead of yes. time because you you wanted to make sure that you could honor the commitment that you had uh, you know your word and and help others with chronic illness uh i i I have to thank you for that and that's a good really good point to bring up is that you know i wasn't comfortable doing this live Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because I never know when I'm going to flare up. And I didn't want to put you in a position where I couldn't be there on that day. So I asked if we could pre-record and you said yes, which I really appreciate yeah. because that also gives us the opportunity. If I don't show up today, we can try again, you know, on another day before right. the event happens. And like, I used to be a video game live streamer. And part of the big reason I stopped doing it is because I couldn't be uh, consistent. Consistent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I won my disability cases because I can't be consistent. So, um, so that was a adaptation that I requested that you granted. And I appreciated that. <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure. And I I mean, I couldn't not have you at this already summit. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncie, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.